my experience with politicians has always been that they have no idea what they're banning. Um, they just don't have the education. And that does not go just for vaping. I think with the majority of laws that are created, the politicians just don't have time to sit there and really evaluate the pros and the cons or really understand what the effect of this vote that they're going to give is going to have on the public. Hello, world. Welcome to the Vaping Unplugged podcast. Everything you need to know about vaping and tobacco harm reduction. Hello and welcome back to Vaping Unplugged. This is the World Vapors Alliance podcast where we talk about harm reduction, vaping, pouches, news, activism, and of course, politics. Today, I'm very happy to welcome Dimitris Agrafiotis, or also known as the Vaping Greek with us. He is EU Director of Operations at Monster Vape Labs and former Director of the Tennessee Smoke-Free Association and obviously one of the most outspoken harm reduction voices out there. And therefore, we are very happy to welcome you. Thank you for joining us. How are you doing? Such a pleasure and an honor to be here. Thank you very much. I'm doing uh, well. I'm, I'm good, working a lot. But uh, yeah, being in Greece always helps. Yeah, sunny Greece definitely. Sunny helps. Greece, very beautiful <laughs> weather right now. Beautiful. Um, maybe before we go into into the the harm reduction vaping topics, um, may I ask you to explain a little bit what you are doing, who you are, how you came into this strange world of vaping? Yeah, I'll try to summarize it briefly. But uh, I, I discovered vaping in two thousand, uh, uh, early two thousand eleven, uh, on a whim from a friend. Um, trying to quit smoking at the time, impossible. I tried every available uh, government-approved method and non-government-approved method at the time, including hypnosis and pills and patches. Um, so when I discovered uh, electronic cigarettes, I was able to uh, switch immediately. I quit smoking uh, from the first try that I took a puff on an electronic cigarette. So I was just infatuated with the technology. Um, and just try to discover more and more about it. And I got online, I started researching. Of course, at the time, we didn't have shops or vaping was not as prevalent as it is now. But uh, I quickly realized that this product uh, works so well that there's absolutely no way that the government is going to leave it alone <laughs> because it does have the, uh, the potential not only to benefit public health, but also has the potential of uh, ruining a lot of cash registers and um and various fractions that are used to people smoking uh in order to bring in money so alongside by discovering vaping i also started to educate myself on legislation and laws and regulations and bans at the time which were rare but still did exist back in 2012 and 2013 so i got into the advocacy role pretty quick i started the first independent state association in the united states called the tennessee smoke free association a model that was uh, followed by various other states in America and a very successful model even today. Uh, even me stepping down this year, I defeated 67 pieces of legislation. I did not lose anything in Tennessee. It's probably one of the most vape-friendly states right now, including Florida, which had follow followed the, the, the same model as I was using. And uh, at the same time, it became a full-time job for me. Advocacy, even though it was a volunteer uh, position all these years, I actually moved into the realm of the business side of vaping as well, too, because of my education. And I was really uh, more than the products themselves, which I still design. Mostly I was concerned about the different laws and the regulations that are being passed, uh, not only domestically, but internationally as well, too. 
So uh, eventually, uh, after various other positions, I now am the EU Director of Operations for Monster Labs and their new operation here uh, in Greece, which uh, distributes their products uh, all across uh, Europe. So in brief, that's the summary. Uh, of course, there was some YouTube involved. There was a lot of advocacy involved. Um, the limited resources that we had to spread the message, we try to utilize them as much as possible. Uh, and um, still at it. I'm here now in Greece. I've taken on the role of vice president of the Greek Trade Association to try to help here as much as I possibly can since I'm not in the United States anymore. Uh, but I also keep up with uh, my colleagues back in the States and try to help them with, uh, you know, the, a tool of... A, the arsenal of tools that I've collected over the last decade. Yeah, wow, that was a that was a really nice summary. From as, as we can hear, you did already a lot in the in the world of harm reduction. Yeah, maybe for the few who don't know, what what is Monster Lab um, actually producing, selling, doing, and what is what is your your job there? Yeah, so Monster Vape Labs is a top uh, e-liquid uh, manufacturer in, based out of Orlando, Florida. Uh, they're one of the top companies uh, recognized globally uh, for the quality and the flavorful products that they create. Of course, across the board, 10 mLs, uh, disposables, and bottled liquid. Uh, although I will tell you that the majority of sales, over 70% of the sales for the company is still bottled liquid, which is pretty amazing in, in, uh, in this day and age of disposables. Uh, but I started working for Monster Vape Labs in 2018 as their consultant. I did a lot of work in the background to build their ISO facility in Orlando, Florida. Uh, and I also consulted the owners on various regulatory topics. I, I performed PMTAs for them with the FDA. Uh, I have assisted them through the years with TBD registration, uh, taxation in various countries now, which is overtaken. It's becoming a, that's a full-time task. Um, but the goal for the company was to be able to get their products in the various uh, European distributors quickly, effectively. Uh, and uh, the idea that we had a year ago, it took us a year to utilize this idea, was to create a European import warehouse here in Greece where we can bring all their products from Florida and then distribute them very quickly to the various countries that sell them. We launched with six countries now, Germany, Italy, Spain, France um portugal uh and uh, poland and of course greece which is my home country uh with a goal by 2024 by the end of 2024 to be servicing 17 countries um one of the biggest complaints that we have from companies that are ordering from america you know it takes two three weeks for shipping then we have to deal with customs and with duties and with fees uh thankfully the Sengenaria and the, uh, the european union system allows us now to uh, create door-to-door -door service for the distributors from uh, Greece within one or two days, no matter what the quantity is, and bypassing all the other uh, logistics hurdles that we would have from a country outside of the EU. Yeah, and I mean, listening to U US, but also European politicians, I assume 99% of your revenue is coming from tobacco um, flavors uh, and uh, <laughs> yes. the, the fruits and mints we all don't need because adults don't course, like them and it's only for kids, right? Although I will tell you that uh, Tobacco Monster is a really good tobacco flavor line. Uh, definitely not my preference after 13 years of not smoking a cigarette. Uh, and it's definitely not the top in sales. With our own data, because uh, one of the things that Monster Vape Labs does very well is collect a lot of data from their uh, loyal customers. Uh, we found that 79% uh, of our customers prefer fruity and menthol 
flavors and bakery flavors as well too. Bakery are very, very uh, predominant as well too. Overall, the category of tobacco by itself will be under 11% and then the flavored tobacco will be under 20% from the customer base. And we're talking about a company now that distributes to 50 countries, right? So it's not that we're just getting demographics from the United States alone, we're getting them globally. And um, uh, definitely flavors in, in every study that I have participated in, I participated in the large Farsalino study a few years back that we created for the FDA, but also in smaller studies for that are state specific for Tennessee. And all the studies that I have been a part to, and in everyday life, when you talk to people that are using the product, flavors is probably the most important aspect of uh, of um, uh, vaping in its cessation effect as a tobacco harm reduction tool. So uh, extremely important that the flavors are around, and a variety of flavors is extremely important as well too, as uh, adult palates uh, tend to change, and you have to have available different products in order for you to stay off cigarettes. Yeah, and I, you already mentioned uh, Professor Fasolinos, his newest study, I think was very interesting because there it showed that at the initial phase when people switched that the, that the tobacco liquid um, is at about 20%. But when they looked at people, when they quit completely, um, then it's down to 8%. Um, yes. So it, tobacco tastes do play a role, but they are diminishing and it shows that we need different kind of tastes, right? Most of the most of the customers that I talk to that are first time vapors, uh, and, and when I interact with them in various shops, they come in and they obviously they want something that tastes like a cigarette, uh, because that's what they're comfortable with. That's what they're used to. The concept of them uh, trying a flavor like strawberry cheesecake might be a little bit um, unfamiliar uh, territory for them. But wh what I can tell you is that the receptors in one's mouth after smoking for for a very long time are blocked. So when you stop smoking, these receptors in your taste buds in, in your mouth start to open up again. And this is why we quickly see that within a few days, if not uh, even sooner, uh, a person that does switch to vaping with tobacco quickly will come and say, well, this does not taste good. Now, imagine this. Somebody was smoking a cigarette maybe a week ago, and now they're using a the tobacco flavor, but they come in and they say it does not taste good, right? Even tobacco-flavored e-liquid tastes better than actual cigarette smoking, but why is that? And that is because they have stopped smoking, they have stopped taking all that poison in their mouth, and now they're starting to taste things uh, better. So this is why quickly they'll switch to a flavored product. And usually like an intense flavor, like a cinnamon, uh, something that's a little bit even more intense versus the other products that are out there and eventually gradually going to make the switch to something more tame. But it's just um, the data is overwhelming that adults like flavors. Uh, the data is overwhelming that uh, flavors are a vital tool in keeping people um, uh, away from cigarettes. And it's, it's, it's clearly a tragedy to try to remove something from the market simply from the fact that some kids are experimenting with a product that if it was not on the market would allow these kids to experiment with traditional combustible tobacco that kills billions of people every year. Yeah, I think I think every ice cream shop can confirm that adults like flavors as well. Yeah. And they don't stick. Imagine to if we banned everything that that is in common between uh, adults and and uh, and kids, then it would be a very, very boring life for adults as well, too. But uh, but ultimately, I think that in the scope of things, I think that Uh, from everything that the governments have tried to do over the years. And trust me, I have been involved in this very heavily, even since 2015, when the first bad stories started coming out about batteries exploding in America. This was all uh, a ploy. This was all a strategy developed by the opposition 
to give vaping a bad name and tried to eliminate it from the market. And then when they tried with batteries, that didn't work uh, because, uh, you know, um, e-cigs don't explode. Bad use of batteries explodes, but you never heard that in a story. Uh, then Evoli came out. They tried to blame vaping on this. That didn't work. Uh, all they have left, uh, COVID came out to try to say that if you're vaping, you get COVID. That didn't work. Uh, so the only thing that they have now left is flavors. And this is what we're seeing, this mass media campaign attack uh, of using uh, literally kids as peons. And it's, 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 it's criminal and it's corrupt by, by using um, youth to, uh, to create an agenda against the product uh, that has the is such a huge potential to change public health. Yeah, that's perfect segue to to the policies and actually the the decision makers and politicians. You you do you think that applies to them as well, or is do are they not just inform, informed well enough and they read the stories and then see oh yeah kids are using flavors so we need to ban them, uh, or are they in the same category and actually want to ban vaping, but no, they missed the point where they can actually just ban it because the backlash would be too, too strong. So they say the second best option is to ban flavors. I think uh, having extremely a lot of experience with politicians on a, on a, on a city, state, local, federal level, I have talked to them all from, just a city councilman all the way up to senators, uh, even to the FDA. My experience with politicians has always been that they have no idea what they're banning. Um, they just don't have the education. And that does not go just for vaping. I think with the majority of laws that are created, the politicians just don't have time to sit there and really evaluate the pros and the cons or really understand what the effect of this vote that they're going to give is going to have on the public. And that comes a lot because, again, our opposition has done a great job. Imagine if you're a parent and uh, you have a school board come and tell you uh, this is bad for kids. Uh, we need to get rid of it. Of course, as a parent, you're going to trust the school board. And, you know, you might not look into it too much because you're thinking that these people really care. And this is what's happening with politicians. You have anti-vaping groups like American Cancer Association, American Lung Association that go to these politicians, present a piece of legislation and saying, we're trying to save the kids. Obviously, the politician is not going to read the entirety and they're going to vote based on the feelings and the trust that they've had with these groups over the years that they're actually trying to do the good thing. So I think it's extremely important. We've, we've always failed, I think, as an industry to do a good job of educating the legislators with actual facts more than feelings. Sometimes, you know, us vapors, we like to talk with feelings, but feelings don't really translate very well with politicians. So I think that, I think that we need to do a better job. We need to really increase the way that we project and try to educate these legislators to at least get both sides of the story. A few years back in Tennessee, we had a, 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 a short-term senator that was filling in a seat that wanted to pass a law to uh, tax vapor products. And of course, she, got, she, re, she received a bill from the American Lung Association. Uh, I met with her. She wanted to tax uh, five cents per millimeter uh, for, for all liquids. And, and I walked into her, uh, her, her office and simply explained to her in, in a very professional and businesslike way that if you think that Juul or some of these smaller pot systems are a huge problem because they're delivering a lot of nicotine, by passing this law, 
all you're going to do is give them the edge because a small pot of Juul that contains sometimes up to 20% more nicotine than a bottled liquid will only pay 10 cents in tax. However, a bottle of liquidine, like, you know, liquid nicotine that contains much, much lower levels of nicotine is going to pay $5 tax. And she looked at me dumbfounded and she's like, I did not know. And uh, and so just by having this conversation, obviously, she still hates vaping. <laughs> that's not, that's not going to change. She wants to remove all tobacco products from the market, which is not, uh, of course, a reality. That was her dream is to, to be known as a senator that removed all, all tobacco products from the market. But that's not going to happen. But simply that's that that discussion was able to put a, a, you know, a break on her making a move that potentially would be detrimental to adults that were using open liquid and at lower nicotine levels. And it would have the reverse effect of what she was trying to do, which was save the kids. It would actually benefit the kids because it would make the pods more cheaper than uh, open open liquid uh, uh, products on there. So I don't think that it's a, it's a matter of that they're, that they're thinking that they're doing the, th the right thing. I think they're influenced by these powers that want to see vaping go away into thinking that they're doing the right thing without getting all the facts and all the data that's out there and how many millions of adults are using these products. I mean, the, the positive spin on, the, on this whole thing would be that they should be or could be open to arguments from the other side as well if we, if we provide them the right arguments. And since you worked on so many policy levels, do, do you see differences is it easier on the very local level or is it easier on a national level because i sometimes have this feeling especially when we come to the international level who or something if they say something all local politicians take that as as sacrosanct and this must be the truth um and everyone who disagrees is you know a crazy conspiracy theorist or something like that um do you see there are differences on the policy levels I, I don't think it's so much of a, a difference in the mindset, but I do think it's a difference in financial gain. So I have always been a proponent of trying to finance our efforts. And unfortunately, in any kind of influencing, lobbying, or even trying to talk in different levels, that requires money. It requires for the industry to be able to fund something like this and put the right people to have these right meetings at no matter what state level you are, what government level you are, right? Obviously, when we get to the levels of the WHO and, and some of these other groups that, that have a tremendous amount of money to spend and have a tremendous amount of money to create campaigns, uh, it's going to be more influential. So I think that it's it's not as long as we can steer the industry to fund and provide funds aside from marketing where a lot of people spend money to spend some money into um bringing on board some people that are able to get into those various positions at no matter what level and try to give our side of the story as well too ultimately when we're talking about tobacco and tobacco as a whole in the planet it is a global economy structure right yeah i mean there's literally economies that have been built on people dying from cigarette smoking. So it's a tremendous hurdle for us to go up against um, anti-vaping groups, anti-smoking groups, or even pro-smoking groups because a lot of the healthcare industry and a lot of the pharmaceutical industry depends on people to smoke in order to stay in business. So ultimately, I think with the right amount of funding, I think with the right amount of um, uh, the, the right people to be able to relay this message, I think that we can reach every level that is out there. Um, 
Start though at your local level because every person is influential and somebody at a smaller level might be able to help you reach into the top level as well too. It's been a strategy that I've used a lot in, in a local level in Tennessee, starting with city councilmen and starting with certain cities and then moving up to Congress people and eventually senators to be able to get my message across, but trying to use those connections, especially people that was able to steer in the right direction and, and possibly see things from a balanced perspective. Yeah, and I think that is the perfect example that consumer voices matter as well. No consumer organization or even any industry organization can contact all politicians in this world who want to ban vaping. So I think everyone needs to be active and raise their voice and play a part. And um, at the, almost at the end of the podcast, let's move it a little bit to the future since COP10 is around the corner and it's probably the worst um the worst uh, meeting for for consumers and industry to to have any say um but what do you expect of it do you think it will be this horror show which which we read which we hear and read already or do you see any positive outcome there's, out of COP10? yeah there's absolutely no reason for me not to believe it's going to be a horror <laughs> show unfortunately uh but on the other hand, I'm trying to remain positive and optimistic because we already expect the outcome of this, right? Uh, we know that that we possibly cannot have a say in it. We know it's going to be bad. We know that the powers to be are going to demonize us and 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 and, and try to make us look like uh, we're we're peddling these products to kids and trying to get the kids hooked. But I will tell you the the biggest piece of advice that I can give you as somebody that has been in the United States so many years trying to get people motivated and activated. Uh, a lot of people give up. A lot of people give up because they can't see wins. So a lot of the people in the United States just felt deflated and defeated after fighting and fighting and fighting. And then eventually a state ban comes and bans flavors in their state. Um, what we do, what we have to do here in Europe and what we have to do on a global scale is try to remain positive. And we try to get people to maintain that high level of activism uh, and that high level of positivity trying to reach the people that they elect into office and let them know how this product has affected their life. There's nothing more influential, I think, in any kind of a jurisdiction where a politician is involved than the actual people that vote in that jurisdiction. I can call somebody that's going to be in California and talk to him about vaping. He's going to say, okay, well, this guy is a good guy. Dimitri's a good guy, but he votes in Tennessee. I don't really care what he has to say about vaping. Uh, which is something that we've made a mistake a lot of in the United States uh, over the last decade. So no matter what comes out of this meeting, uh, nothing's good. Nothing good is going to come out of it. But no matter what good what, what comes out of this meeting, I think we always have to remain positive and we have to stay on target and try to um, uh, influence and change the mind of those that are coming out of that meeting with the data. The data is surpassing it. We're at a high time, an all time of positive data of how this product benefit smokers right and this this mountain of evidence that keeps growing and growing at some point is going to hit them in the face and they're not going to be able to deny science anymore and they're not going to be able to deny the fact that that this product is is uh is uh, definitely a viable option for smokers that have uh, tried to quit with other available options and were unsuccessful so ignore you know what comes out of this meeting uh and uh and stay on track don't let it sidetrack us because it does at sometimes sidetrack us and takes away from the eye of the prize and we feel deflated and we feel like we've lost and we have not lost uh, anything yet we're still here uh and we're still fighting for this product 
Yeah, in celebrating those small successes, I think that's that's definitely very, Absolutely. very important. And we have seen it with the European Beating Cancer Plan, where the first time an EU institution has acknowledged vaping helps people to quit smoking. And that is actually a huge deal, even though the whole document is obviously not perfect. But I think Correct. we need to get used to small fighting back, small pushbacks against the super crazy regulations and then at the same time getting small wins in there as well especially generally healthcare works reduction. like yeah generally healthcare works like this we see this in america a lot too when covid first happened the surgeon general at the time jerry adams uh was telling everybody you know don't use masks masks are worthless keep them for the hospital staff you know and of course, all the the healthcare professionals are. Oh, look at the you know the Surgeon General. And then a month later, he was all about masks. Of course, the entire community uh, afterwards was like, "Oh, you have to wear a mask." And then we saw the, the debacle that happened over the next year with masks. But most of the healthcare works like this. So the more people are switching to our side, I don't think that any medical professional that has taken the Hippocratic oath that truly believes in the well-being of their patients, once they see the data, are not going to support vaping. They're going to support vaping, obviously. But it's a slow process. It takes one mind at a time. It takes one health professional at a time. And the more that people are switching and acknowledging that that vaping and electronic cigarettes is a viable option for smokers, we're going to slowly see the, turn, the, the, the tide is going to turn. It's going to be slow, but it will turn, and eventually... Uh, there's not going to be any denying it We're, once more people and more health professionals are on board. Fantastic. I think those are the, the perfect final words. Just as a as a small anecdote, we try since three or four weeks now to come up with a very nice, um, most accurate scientific um, research papers listed uh, in a nice way to present to politicians. But the evidence, every second day you have a new study and we're like, oh, we need to add this. We need to add this. Yes. We need yeah, to add this. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, impossible yeah, yeah. To, to keep up yeah. with it, which is good news. And I also think it is good. at it least is good. in the long run, it's it's it will be clear that uh, vaping and similar products will displace smoking. At hey, some point. I'm, a, I'm a living uh, proof. I've been vaping 14 years. Look, I'm the healthiest I've ever been in my life. So I donate my body and my lungs to any health professional that wants to uh, examine me and uh I'm happy, I'm healthy, and and uh, finding vaping was, uh, aside from the birth of my children, I think probably one of the most significant uh, points in my, in my life. And, and I owe, I think, my life to it. Uh, I'm still around because I was able to quit smoking via vaping. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. Thank you so much for, for joining us again. Always a pleasure. Um, you, hope to see you soon again in person at some expo, maybe. Um, thank you, and always nice to talk to you. Have a good day. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate it.